So I want to pick up where we left off last week. We all survived the eclipse, right? There was no aliens following the moon or anything that landed. And, 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 and you guys laugh at that, but you hear this stuff coming out of the, the woodwork. You remember the hail bop comment that came, what was that, back in the 90s or early 2000s? I don't remember when it was. I mean, they were convinced that space people were following that. We're going to land on Earth, take us all away. They have their own what? They have their own chant? The aliens. Would you care to share that with us? Okay. <laughs> Because I, I don't know what it is, but I'm interested to hear it, so. Okay. Ugh. Oh, let's pray. No. So we're going to pick up where we left off, not talking about football left off, but, but it's going to be a good year. I can feel it. So. But last week, I wanted to show you guys some things, is, and starting out of Genesis chapter 1, and I know I've addressed this as we were in this series about the feet. It's starting in verse 14, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years, and let, there, let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. No problem, right? All right, but then verse 16, Then God made two great lights. Now, he made light before he created a source of light, which is interesting. He, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Now, wait a minute here. Your entire life, my entire life, we have been taught that our sun is simply a star. But you know what's interesting about our sun is it, compared to every other star out there, it's incredibly stable and scientists can't figure it out. They're like, well, it's a happy accident that our planet happened to land just at the right proximity away from a star that happens to be stable enough to sustain life on this planet, right? Happy accident. That's what they call it. He made the stars also. What he's saying is that this light source is different than the stars. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Guys, why we're talking about this is that we need to think biblically. We don't do that enough. We always just assume a bunch of stuff when we read this. I cannot tell you how many times for years I read Genesis 1.14. Those of you that know me, I love the book of Genesis. I love the creation account. Uh, we, we travel around a lot doing what we call apologetics, talking a lot about science and the Bible and how they are not enemies, but they actually work together very nicely. But then one day the Lord dealt with me on something, so, you know, to dig into the signs and seasons because it was as I read slowly and started breaking down the words, it's like, what on earth is this talking about? Well, it means Moedim. And I know it's this is a review, but it's, this is what it looks like. When you, every Hebrew word has several meanings to it, okay? Depending on the context in which it's used. But it's talking about these appointed time. Appointed feasts, feasts, time, set feasts and stuff. We assume when we hear seasons because we think fall, winter, summer, you know, we're getting ready to head into fall here any moment. That is a season, but that is not what he's talking about. A season is a span of time. And he said, these are appointed times and you will know them by these things that are here. These are set up that the Jewish people run on a lunar calendar. They would know when the feast began based off of that calendar because they could look into the sky. Now, last week we got into this, and I started talking about this, which is important to understand. We've got to understand this isn't just uh, uh, cute words that's being used here. This is for a purpose. Well, I also told you about the gematria, is that the rabbis say that we read our Bible naked. Go ahead and go to that next picture there, bud. Thank you. The gematria is basically, these are the Hebrew letters, and every letter corresponds with a number. Now, how they came up with this, I don't really know, but this is where it is. It's no different, and I said this before, and if you're coming on Wednesday night, you'll hear about it when we get into the sign of the beast, which is 666, right? Well, what did, where did that number come from? He saw the letters that corresponded with those numbers and did the math. That's what it was. You mean you have to do math in the Bible? Yeah, sometimes. Not fun. Just like school. 
but this is what it is. And I told you that the Tav is, uh, is the numerical value of 400. You can go to the next one, um, and you can see it here. It, it actually looks like a cross. Now, this is the modern version. But if you look back at the time of Ezekiel, it actually looked more like an italicized T. I think I've got the picture of that. There we go. This is really what it looked like. Now, they've changed over time. It's no different than how, how we do it. If you, what, the letters that I was taught to write in cursive when I was learning has changed somewhat. It's been modified, right? The beautiful thing about cursive is you can just scribble just about anything and then tell somebody what that word says, okay? So, like, when I write a check for something, I feel sorry for my bank that has to decipher my handwriting. It's terrible. Diana can account for that. I usually, I write her a note, hey, here's some things that we need to do, and she comes back in here, it's like, can you interpret this for me? I do not understand it. So, but we get into this top. Now, remember, everything created on the fourth day. Uh, we've got this here, and this letter here was the sign of 400, in Hebrew means sign. When we see the top, it means it's a sign of something. Now, I want to recap a little bit last week. Let's go to the next one. We've got the eclipse that came across. Now, this is just a, it's an amazing event. People flock from all over the world. In fact, in uh, um, Fall City, as a matter of fact, they had people from 26 countries sign in, said that we are here for this. That's crazy, right? Who comes to watch a minute and a half worth of sun, especially when it was cloudy? All right. Now, we all know Janet was doing a little bit of a dance. She was enjoying this. She's like, these crazy people are being crazy. She said to Sonny Moore, like, wouldn't it be funny if it's cloudy tomorrow? Speak those things that be not as though they were. <laughs> so it's her fault. Everybody know that. That was disappointed. I said, Janet Griffin, here's her address, phone number, and here's who her husband is. You can talk to him. He's a mediator, so not a problem. <laughs> So anyway, but we see where it came across. It started in Oregon, worked its way across the Midwest, went right over the top of us, and it worked its way out of South Carolina. Now, as I told you, that when it started right here, happened to be sundown in Jerusalem that started the first day of Elul. Elul is the month prior, which tells us one thing. We're getting ready to go into these fall feasts that we've been talking about. In 30 days is the Feast of Trumpets, less than that now. Elul 1 begins the 30-day time of repentance. Now, we went through this last week, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but as, that, as I showed you through history how there were many different times that this solar eclipse that took place is, is considered, especially by Jewish people, it's considered a sign of judgment coming. The, the Hebrews look at it as that the sun, a solar eclipse, is a sign to the Gentile world, where a lunar eclipse is a sign to the Jewish world because they use the lunar calendar, we use the solar calendar. A little bit of a difference. So I showed you guys what happened in World War I. I showed you what happened in jo the time of Jonah prior to him getting there. So we've got this eclipse. I also told you is that in uh, eight years we're going to have another one. Okay, so it's going to start from the south, it's going to work its way up, and we've got this here. Now, I didn't put this up here for this week, but there is a, a severe earthquake zone, it's called the New Madrid Zone, it's something that's been recently discovered, and this X marks the spot, happens to hit that. It also happens to be going through southern Illinois, uh, especially Cairo, Illinois, and, and uh, Illinois is always called Little Egypt, it's been something that's considered. Now, here's what I didn't show you last week, remember I said Tob is a sign, it means sign, that letter sign. Now, look how similar this is. All right? Not perfect. Could be a coincidence. Um, I could be overthinking this. Very likely am. It wouldn't be the first time. But I just find it interesting that this is, a, is something that's going on. The sevens is a number of completion. These numbers always mean something in Scripture. The reason we th don't think about this stuff is we don't think biblically. And we have been told to stay away from this stuff, especially what I'm going to get into today. All right? I'm going to ask you to put on your tinfoil hats. The Children's Church is making some right now. They're going to give them out at the end of service. I'm just kidding. That's not really happening. 
But I want you to understand, as we get into looking at the stars, this is not astrology, okay? This is astronomy. This is not, we're not talking about people who worship the stars. We are talking about the constellation. Who created the stars? God did. Who calls them by name? God does, right? Okay, so I want you to keep that in mind. This is stuff that we don't hear about because we're so afraid of it. We can't have anything that looks pagan or anything like that because of people who worship these things and, and we're talking horoscopes and all that other kind of stuff. And if you really knew your history, pretty much everything we do has some sort of pagan root in it. The days of the week, your birthday, you know, Ohio State, pagan, you know, whatever. All right. Longhorns, there we go. Okay, but let's get into the Bible. Let's get, let's, let's get away from those things that are, that are hideous, talking about that football team. Let's get into Scripture where it's beautiful. In Romans 10, we're going to start in, in verse 16. It says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Now, we've heard that verse 17 all the time, right? Uh, uh, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, what you need to understand in the context of this, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 9 is talking about past Israel. Romans chapter 10 is talking about present Israel. Romans chapter 11 is talking about future Israel. Okay? Now, I've said this before, but in most churches, Israel is completely ignored um, because they, they, they have no clue. They're not looking at it from a biblical perspective. They assume that Israel is done away with and the church has replaced Israel. But that is not the case. So you hear faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith for what? The gospel. That's what this is talking about. Now, but then it gets into this thing. Talking about Isaiah. Have they not heard? So, here's what he says. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Now, here's the question. Whose voice goes out, and what sound, and whose words? Who are we talking about here? You look in most commentaries, they will say we're referring to the prophets, right? Because it says words, and there's sound, right? Well, let's go back, and let's look at this. Let's, let's study this out a little bit. Psalms chapter 19, verse 1. Now, watch what this says. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiworks. Day unto day utters speech. And night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. And their line has gone through all the earth and the, their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. What is this referring to? The heavens. Here you've got their words. You've got their voice. What was Jesus talking about? How will they know? In Romans chapter 1, it, it talks about how, you know, you've got the destruction of mankind going on, and it's because they, they worship the creation rather than the creator. But it gives this idea is that there is nobody that won't be held accountable on judgment. I always get asked this question, what about the pygmies living in, in West Africa that's never heard the gospel? Well, according to Jesus, the heavens declare the glory of God. Their voice, their sounds. It wasn't referring to the prophets. It's the stars, the creation, the things in the firmament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Where does the, where is the wrath of God revealed from? Heaven. What is he referring to? What do you think? I mean, we're, we're talking, it's creation. He's in control. It's against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness. Okay, so where's that wrath going towards? Ungodliness, 
unrighteousness. If you're born again, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. You are the antithesis to this. But what do these men do? They suppress the truth and unrighteousness. You go into the next verse. For they know the truth, but they didn't want to accept the truth. In other words, everybody intrinsically knows that God is real. You cannot look around you and just assume that this is a happy accident. Scientists are absolutely baffled how the sun and the moon, how the moon happens to be 400 times smaller than the sun, but the sun happens to be 400 times further away. Those mathematic odds are absolutely impossible. 10 to the minus 43. That's 10 with 43 zeros on the end. The government can't spend that much money, guys. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Well, give them time. Maybe they can. I don't know. But... So we see these stars, and this is what I want you to understand, and the reason I'm laying this out is because this is not fanciful talk, and this is not astrology. We are talking about the things that God created. If I preached a sermon on trees, most people are like, oh, that's pretty. I talk about the stars. Oh, heretic, get thee behind me. So, does the Bible ever mention these constellations by name? Actually, it does. Let's look at Job 9, at verse 9. It says, he made the bear, Orion, and the Pleiades, if I'm saying that right, and the chambers of the south. Now, the chambers means constellation. Okay. Look at Job. Well, actually, I think I got some pictures. Do I have some pictures of that right there? I do. Here you go. You got Orion. You got Pleiades. The bear, you see this here? That's the Big Dipper. That's what we know it by. They took it a step further. Okay. Let's look at another one. Job chapter 38. Verse 31, can you bind the clusters of Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out the Maseroth in its seasons? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? What's it talking about? These? What is the Maseroth? It's the constellation, the 12 constellations. Okay, let's look at another one. Amos chapter 5, verse 8. He made the Pleiades and Orion. He turns the shadow of death into morning and makes the day... Uh, the day dark as night, he calls the waters of the sea and pours them out with the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. There you see it again. Let's get in the New Testament. How about Acts 28, verse 11? After three months, we sailed in, the, in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered on the island. What is this? We're talking about Gemini. These are the twin brothers. Okay? So they had a, uh, a thing carving on the ship. So the, Paul knew what this was. Luke knew what this was. He wrote it down. Okay? How about Job chapter 26? By his spirit, he adorned the heavens. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. What is this one talking about? The fleeing serpent is also known as Draco. Wasn't Draco the one that uh, Rocky fought in one of the Rockies? No? Maybe? Come on, people. Where are you at? All right. I'll, we'll Google that. We'll find it up later. Okay. But what are we talking about here? This is mentioned time and time and time again. I mean, I just gave you four or five different examples. I could give you four or five different ones. I don't think I need to. But look at Isaiah 40 and verse 26. It says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Where are your eyes looking? On high. Who created these things? Who brings out their host by the number? He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Who named these? God. Every one of them. Every one of them. This is a God thing. This is not a man thing. Man grabbed it, screwed it up. Shock, right? This is a God thing. These are for signs, times, and seasons. We have the name of every star, and we can trace it back thousands of years because the Babylonians uh, wrote it down, the Persians did, the Hebrews. It's all recorded by them. And here's what I'm going to tell you. 
that the message of Jesus Christ is in these constellations, in these stars. And that's what I'm going to show you today. These signs were used when Jesus was born. You had the star of Bethlehem, right? How did the Magi know to look? What were they looking for? How did they recognize it and the Jews didn't? Well, what you don't know is that the Magi were in control 400 years prior to this by Daniel underneath the Babylonian captivity. He was in charge of all these guys and had told them, we assume, that this is what you need to be looking for. This is the sign of the birth of the Messiah. He taught them these things. But let me read you what Josephus says about this. Okay? Josephus was a Jewish historian. He was hired by the Romans to write down the history of the Jews. It says, Now Adam, who was the first man, and made out of the earth, for our discourse must now be about him. After Abel was slain, and Cain fled away on account of his murder, for soli was solicitous for posterity, and had a vehement desire for ch of children. He being 230 years old, after which time he lived other 700, and then died. He, he had indeed many other children, but Seth in particular. As for the rest, it would have been tedious to name them. I will therefore only endeavor to give an account of those who proceeded from Seth. Now this Seth, when he was brought up and came to those years in which he could discern what was good, became a virtuous man. And he was himself an ex of excellent char character. So did he leave children behind him who imitated his virtues. All these proved to be of good dispositions. They also inhabited the same country without dissensions and in a happy condition without any misfortunes falling upon them till they died. They also, watch this, were the inventors of that peculiar sort of wisdom which is concerned with the heavenly bodies and their order. And that their inventions might not be lost before they were sufficiently known upon Adam's prediction that the world was to be destroyed at one time by the force of fire and at another time by the violence and quantity of water, they made two pillars, the one of brick, the other of stone. They inscribed their discoveries on them both. That is, that in this case, that the pillar or brick should be destroyed by the flood, the pillar of stone might remain and exhibit those discoveries to mankind, and also inform them that there was another pillar of brick erected by them. Now this remains in the land of Syria to this day. Now, what did we just read? He is giving credit to the naming of these things, back to Adam, back to Seth, back to Enoch. He's, I mean, he, all of these people that came from Seth. Seth came from Adam and stuff. He was still alive when Seth was born and Enoch was born. But you see these things. He's giving credit to them for the naming of these things, and there was a purpose, the naming of them. And so he sits out, and he says, we created two pillars. Now, according to Josephus, this, these pillars still existed. What I find interesting, he said, now there's two things that are going to happen. The world's going to be destroyed with water, and the world's going to be destroyed with fire. Now, Adam never mentions that, not according to our scripture. But why did Josephus know it? Well, this is stuff that's been handed down. Those pillars were still in existence at the time of Josephus, was shortly after the time of Christ. Okay, shortly after. Now, they've not found them today. That doesn't mean they didn't exist. We have them written down. There are other accounts that have them written down. But what were they doing? They were writing these things that were going on, the names of these constellations. It was being passed on. This is how we have this stuff. Okay? Now, here's where we can see where things get twisted. 2 Kings chapter 23. Then he removed the idolatrous priests from whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burn incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellation, and to all the hosts of heaven. Now, this is dealing with Josiah. King Josiah takes over at eight. He was a reformer, eight years old, gets a hold of the scrolls and starts reading. It's like, we are not following God. We're not following Yahweh. And so he starts kicking all of these people out. But what were these people doing? They were burning incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, and to the constellations. Why were they doing that? Because they were worshiping these things. That's what burning incense means. They burned incense in an act of worship, as you guys see in Revelation, that the incense and the prayers, the bowl of incense, it's all the same thing. 
So they were worshiping the angel. We are not looking at that aspect of it. We are talking about what God calls these things. Now, the Tower of Babel, what was it used for? Truthfully, it was the worship of the stars. Okay? This thing was about, now they've, they've discovered this. They think they've discovered this. But it's about five miles south of a place called Hill. This thing was 173 feet high that they found. It's got a base that was basically 400 feet on each side. They say it covers a span of four acres. I think I've got a picture of it, actually. You can kind of see, this is a drawing. There are other pictures. Now, this was in the 1800s when they discovered this thing. And um, they have, it looks nothing like this right now. It's pretty weathered at this point. Um, but they, they believe that this is the Tower of Babel. And the reason that they, they believe that is because it was named essentially uh, the Tower of Babel by the Assyrians. That's essentially what it was named. But you find these things all over the world. This is called a ziggurat. Okay? That's a name that you will recognize. They're all over the world. And these ziggurats all had to do with the astrology and things like that, the worship of the sky. So when you look at these, these Babylonian libraries are filled with both astronomy, looking at the study of the stars, and astrology, the worship of the stars. You can go throughout all over the place and find these things. In Isaiah 47 and verse 13, it says, You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers and the stargazers and the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. This is Isaiah laying the wood on somebody. He's like, hey, go ahead and get your astrologers out here and your stargazers and your monthly prognosticators. What would we call that? This, the, the idea of, of your horoscopes is a monthly thing. You're, you know, the month of your birth corresponds to this. You're talking about this is stuff that goes clear back to the Babylonian time. So here's the question. Did God put the message of salvation in his creation? Absolutely. According to Roman 1, we are, we are going to be judged based off of that alone. But there are creation accounts all over the earth. Okay? Now, in a British museum, we have the Babylonian creation account. I've got this up here because I want you to see this. It says, Anu, who is the creator, made the excellent, the mansions of the great gods in number. The 12 zodiacs is what this is referring to. The stars he placed in them, the Lumacy, which is the group of stars, he fixed. He arranged the year according to the bounds, which is the 12 different signs, which he defined. For each of the 12 months, three rows of stars, constellations, he fixed. From, that, from the day when the year issues forth unto the close, he marked the mansions, which again are those signs of the wandering stars, that's referring to the planets, to know their courses that they might now err to deflect at all. Now, he's talking about there's three different groups of four, but this is the Babylonian creation, and it was the creator God, right? You have creation accounts in pretty much every culture that you go into. You also have flood accounts in every culture that you go to. You also see Paul kind of addressing these ideas, um, the, the, the taking stuff from these Babylonian things and using them for the glory of God. Okay? In Acts 17, 28, Paul actually recites a poem that was written by pagans. It says, For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He's quoting two different poets here from back in 270 B.C. These would be things that were known to this Greek world. Epinomes, who was, from, who was a Cretan, and Aratus, who was from Cilicia. But they were quoting and worshiping these astrological figures and Zeus. They were worshiping these things, but Paul used them in the preaching of the gospel. So why am I telling you all of this? I'm telling you, don't let this stuff freak you out as we get into it. All right? Because it can't, some people just get their, you know, they get goosebumps, like, ah, oh, I can't handle any of this. 
let's just allow Scripture to be Scripture. Okay, that's what we're doing. This is God's creation. So, where did these constellations get their names? Well, the truth is, if you go out and look at a pile of stars, and you're thinking, that's what that is, it doesn't look anything like it. I've got, I've got them up here now. Okay? So, you've got Virgo the Virgin. I don't know if about you, that doesn't look like a girl to me. Okay? you got Leo, that's a lion. Pisces, that's two fish. James, you see any fish when you're out there catching a look like that? I didn't either. There's cancer. That's a crab. Okay? They don't look anything like they're supposed to. You might be able to say Scorpio, which is a scorpion, kind of looks the closest because you got the little tail thing, but really not, not at all. I mean, Libra maybe, the scales. I mean, it doesn't look anything like it. Now, some will say, oh, the 12 constellation, the reason of the pictures, here's what it is. The reason of the pictures is because of the names that associate with them. They give them the names, they make the pictures look like what they are. So they'll look at the 12 constellations and say, oh, 12 tribes of Israel. Yeah, maybe, but I think it's deeper than that. That's, that's too simple. When we look at this, when we break these down, these constellations are going to get, essentially, I'm going to call them three books, but they're essentially three groups of four constellations. So it's like, okay, if these are three groups of four constellations, well, where on earth do we start? Because they're not numbered, number one, number two, number three, nothing like that. So here's where I think we start. I want to show you this Egyptian calendar, okay? You see the names that are up here, okay? You've got all of these. Now, what I don't have here is because I wasn't able to find a good picture of it. But when these things are drawn out in their temples, they're always drawn out flat, all right? So they go extended. It's not a square like this. They're extended long. And the names are there. And what's interesting is, is that I think that perhaps the Sphinx will give us a clue to this. Now, I've got a picture of a Sphinx. You guys all know what this looks like, right? There it is. That's the, probably the most famous one. There are several other of these things all over the world, especially in Egypt. But on those drawings, there is always a Sphinx between Leo and Virgo. So... What I find interesting to me, and this works very well with what I'm going to show you, is that I think we're going to start where the, the Sphinx starts and go from there. The Sphinx means to unite or to bring together. That's what the word means. So, in these temples, they're all over the place. Now, you're going to see patterns emerge in each one of these books. The first thing you're going to see is going to be identified as a person of the prophecy that I'm going to show you. These, these things are going to identify with that. The second one that you'll see inside that group of four is that a work done in grace. This isn't going to make a lot of sense until you see it. The third thing is the work done in conflict. And the fourth thing is the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay? You guys follow me? I'll show you what I mean. It doesn't make a lot of sense now. But as you see them, it will begin to make sense. All right? Now, let's look at Virgo. Here's Virgo. There she is. All right. Now, I've got some of the different meanings of this. You've got Latin, which means branch. Bathula, which is the Hebrew word that means virgin. You've got Arabic, which is branch series, which is Greek. It stands for corn. You can see what she's holding here. She's got a branch up here. She's got something down there. It looks like wheat to me. And then the Egyptian dindura, which is aspolia, which is another language. It, it refers to ears of corn. But only one calls her virgin, right? It's the Hebrews. They call her the virgin. Everything else is focusing on the branch or the corn. Right? Now, one of the things you need to know about the stars is they name them by their brightness, and they go through the Greek alphabet. So the alpha star is the brightest, the beta star is the second brightest, so on and so forth. The brightest star in Virgo is in this branch, and you can't really see it from that picture, but it's in that branch. Okay? The alpha star is called Al-Zimak. It means the branch. But in Hebrew, it's called Semek, T-S-E-M-E-C-H. Do I have that up there? Oh, look at that, I do. 
Now, what's interesting about this, when you guys begin to see this, is that there are 20 words for branch in the Hebrew language, 20 different words that they use. But the one that's used here, Semek, is only used four times in Scripture. Okay? Now, let's go through these very quickly. In Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch, a Semek, of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. What is that talking about? talking about Jesus. Okay, let's look at the other times. Zechariah 3 and verse 8, it says, Hear, O Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. Zechariah 6, 12, Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out. And Isaiah 4 and verse 2, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. So, the Hebrews name is Semek. They could have used any of the other 19 words. They chose this one. Why did they choose this? Because I think that this is pointing to Jesus, who is the branch Jesus is, who brought forth the branch, the virgin, Mary. So we've identified the person, okay? We identified the person. The, purpose, the person here is not, she's not, the, the main thing that they're looking at. It's this branch that's the main thing that they're looking at. Now, here's what, where it gets interesting. There are several other stars inside of these constellations, not just one, but there are several. And so the Epsilon star, which is in the right arm, is called Al-Muridin, which means who shall come down or shall have dominion. We're talking right up over in this range, okay? And again, you get into the other, the branch, the spike of corn, it's the Sobila, the one who carries I mean, again, you guys see how these are pictures of Christ. Isaiah 7 and verse 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We see that confirmed with Gabriel talking to Mary. But again, what are we talking about? The branch being held by the virgin and brought forth. So you can kind of see how those things fit together. You guys following me? Let's look at the next one, Libra. Because here we're going to look at this, the work of this person done in grace. So the focus of the first, first one was most definitely Christ. But this one here, it, it, Libra means scales is the Latin word for weighing. Or, or the Hebrew is scales of weighing. Alzumina, which is Arabic, purchase or redemption. Lambadi, which is Coptic, is station or propitiation. Okay? So we've got Christ the first time. Now we've got this, essentially the scale being weighed, this judgment, if you will. Isaiah 40 and verse 12, who has measured the waters of the in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust and the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Psalm 62, 9, surely men of low degree are a vapor, men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapor. I mean, again, we see this idea of these scales coming together. Now, the alpha star in this thing is, uh, I'm going to tempt pronounce this, but, but Zeban al-Ganub. But the meaning of that is purchase or deficient price. In other words, not good enough. Now, what is it talking about? It's pointing to the idea that these scales, like there's nothing you can add to the scale that's going to make you good enough to measure out. Now, you see the same thing happen, and I'm going to show you a picture of an Egyptian, Egyptian judgment scene. But here you see the scales, right? Over here you see the heart of man, and over here you have a feather. And what they would say is that if they put the two things on there together and your heart weighed more than the feather, then some Greek god or something would eat your heart and you would spend what we would call eternity in hell. 
because it had to be lighter than the feather. That means that you are a person of virtue and a good person, right? So that's what this is talking about. It's talking about this works righteousness idea, this concept. Now, we don't think that way, right? Because Jesus did all the work. Why is our heart lighter? Because he made it that way. So the other names in here is Al-Gubi, which is heaped up high, or high. you got the Gamma Star, which is Zubin. It's the price of conflict. Akkadian uh, says it didn't have a scale. And then Toka, which is a sacred mound or altar. So you've got the sun coming, bringing the balance to the scales. All right? Let's look at the third one, Scorpio. So you got Al-Akraba, which is Arabic, it's wounding he that comes, Akrib, Hebrew, which is conflict or war, Asidus, which is Coptic, it says attack of the enemy or oppression. So in Psalm 91, 13, we see that you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Now, when we look at this picture here, when we see this thing, what, uh, you've got Scorpio that's down here, Okay. When you see this, this is called Sepentarius. Now, this is just above. And you see that he's holding a serpent, right? All right? But what you don't see is Scorpio's right down here. He's going to stop. Well, now, which foot is that? That's his left foot. Okay? Now, the star in his left heel, the name for it means bruised. Okay? Get the wheels of spin. Let's look at Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You'll see it over and over again. You'll see this God figure. Here you go. Put on the head of scorpion. That's how it's drawn out. Okay? Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. You're going to see a God figure over and over again crushing an evil figure, the serpent, the things like that. Now, I want to show you that. Go back to that other picture again if we could. What you don't see here... Um, and I want to point this out. So you have the serpent. Serpent is always meaning what? Satan. This is what, what, what it is, right? Uh, you also see the cross over here. That's actually what they have in there. And the thing is the astrology is the, or astronomy, excuse me, they have this, the cross. But the serpent is attempting to get up here high, okay? And this person here is holding him back and controlling him. What you can't see on this picture, and mainly because I couldn't find a good one, you can kind of see the words Corona Borealis. It's a cluster of stars. You know what it means? The crown. So you have a serpent figure attempting to get up to the crown. I'm showing you mainly the 12. This isn't part of those 12. All right. But every one of these things you see, you could put this picture together and it begins to work. All right. So other names for Scorpio is Antares, which means the wounding, Lesseth, which means the perverse. I mean, there are several things, but the thing I wanted you to see is you see that foot on top of that, uh, the head of the scorpion. All right. Now, let's look at the fourth one. We're getting into the fulfillment of prophecy. We get into Sagittarius. Now, he is called the archer. He's Kesseth, which is Hebrew. Al-Kaz, Arabic. Toxic, he's the archer. I mean, but we know what he is, okay? Um, it's all dealing with this arrow, and he is pointing at something. And what he's actually pointing at, which you can't see, again, it's hard to get these pictures where it maps it out. He's actually pointing directly at Scorpio. He's shooting that arrow. He is destroying the work of the one who is going to uh, uh, cause problems. In Coptic, his name is Pimaker, and it means graciousness or beauty of the coming forth. In Psalm 45, verse 3, it says, Give your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one, with your glory and your majesty, and in your majesty ride prosper prosperously because of the truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things, and your arrows are sharp. In the heart of the king's enemies, the peoples fall under you. Okay, what are we seeing? We've got a judgment scene coming. 
Revelation 19.11 says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Now one of the things about here, what we see about uh, Sagittarius, is he's a centaur. Right? We know about that if you've, you've ever seen any, uh, some movies or things like that. But they were always considered half man and half horse, right? Or the way they looked at it is they were a child of one of the gods, so they were half man, half God. How does that compare to Jesus? Well, it's pretty close, except Jesus was all man and he was all God. Other names for this is Gracious One, Going or Sending Forth, the Dart, Who Comes Forth, Riding of the Bowman, Prince of the Earth, Beauty of the Coming Forth, He Conquers. Bottom line, somebody coming forth conquering is the prince of the earth, and he is a bowman. He's coming to judge and destroy the enemies of God. Now, let's look at this. Let's put these together. You've got in the first book up here, you've got the virgin bringing forth the branch, which is the main thing that we're seeing, is the branch. And he's going to come down, and he's going to enact a judgment, if you will, and make that scale measure out. But he's going to take care of the work of the enemy that the enemy can no longer jump on that scale because he is a mighty warrior and his arrow will pierce the enemy. You guys see how this all works together? Okay, now the first one we got to take a little bit of time with, a little more time. I know we're, we're getting a little late, but, but I want you to see that because, again, this is what I'm talking about. You've got the focus of the individual and then the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy, if you will. Now let's jump into the second one. We get into Capricornius, all right? Now it's a weird-looking guy, right? Goat with some sort of a fishtail. I don't know who comes up with these, but they have a vivid imagination. But here are the different names, and I am not going to butcher any of those, but we'll just go with what they mean. It's the place of the sacrifice. Kid or cut off in Hebrew. Uh, cut off. It's the goat. All right? Now, so in the first book, you've got the Messiah coming as a branch, but in the second book, you've got the purpose of his coming, which is to die. All through Scripture, how is, uh, what is a goat? It's a sacrifice. Right? In, in Leviticus, you have the sin offering and you have the scapegoat. And at the Day of Atonement, they would always have these two goats. They would cast lost, say which is which. And then the, the scapegoat, they would put the sins on that scapegoat and they would send them off into the wilderness and they'd usually chase them off a cliff or something like that. And then the other one, the sin offering, would be sacrificed and it would make them pure and it would atone for the entire nation of Israel. The goat in Scripture is a sacrificial animal. Now, some other names of this, it means... Uh, Sacrifice comes, sacrifice slain, slaying, or record of the cutting off. What are we seeing here? We're seeing that this figure has come to lay down its life. It's a sacrifice for sin. The next one we get into is Aquarius. Okay? Now, kind of an ugly guy. Got water flowing down here. All right? But it's the place of him coming down. It's the water urn. For, uh, pour forth of the water or who goes and returns. These are all names that have been given to him. We see this, uh, which you, got, you can't really tell in the picture, but down here is, is Pisces. The water is being poured onto these fish, and I'll show you that in a minute. But let's look at Isaiah 44, verse 2. It says, Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, uh, whom I have chosen. For I will pour out water on him who is thirsty in floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. This isn't the only time you're going to see this concept of God pouring out blessings and in this idea of washing Ezekiel 36 verse 24 I will take you from among the nations gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols Joel 2 and 28 it says it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams your young men shall see visions I actually had somebody argue with me it's like 
like, that's not out of the book of Joel, that's in Acts 2. They missed the part where it says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Anyway, but then you see in John chapter 4, verse 13, says, Jesus answered, said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. As I said, when you look at this, you've got the one pouring out the water, but who is he pouring the water on? Well, that takes us to the third one. This is Pisces. Now, you cannot see it in this picture. Again, putting these together was tough. But you've got two fish that are chained together or strapped together or whatever you want to call it. But this is where the water is being poured on. The water is being poured on these two fish. Now, there are a couple of different theories about this. You've got Judah and Israel, the two nations becoming one again eventually. Or you've got the Jews and the Gentiles. But there are two. Okay. Now, the names of these is fishes of him that comes, fishes. Uh, fish lengthen out, as in its prosperity. They belong to the one who is coming. They are blessed, but they are bound. Uh, but the question is, is, why are they bound? Let's look at a couple of these different things. Isaiah 14, 1. It says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob and will still choose Israel and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. Who are the strangers? We are. Okay? Some of us are stranger than others. Ezekiel 37, verse 19, say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be on my, one in my hand. And the sticks on which you shall write, uh, you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, wherever they have gone, and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land. And on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them, they shall no longer be two nations, for sh nor shall they be divided into two kingdoms. Again, you've got both things going on here. They both work. But let's look at Galatians chapter 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. But you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. I don't know about you, but that verse gets me excited. Because we are heirs according to the promise. Now, the band here. Oh, go back to the next one real quick. I want to show you that. There you go. This band here, you've got, they're separated, but they are bound together to something, which is interesting. Now go to the next one. Because you've got this Cephas character, or Cetus, it depends on, on what you write it, which is this monster. Now what do these monsters always typify? Okay, they always typify uh, something of the enemy. They're being, they're, something's chaining them there. Okay, now you can't see it on here, but you see the name Pisces. Okay, because they're not pictured. But it's actually essentially like he would be having something. They're clipped to him in some way. Which gets us to the next one, Aries. When you get to Aries, you see the same, you see the goat figure, the ram, again. It's rain or dominion, righteous sacrifice, merciful sheep, Hebrew lamb. That's what it's talking about here. Now this constellation, was, which is interesting, was up on Nisan 1, which is when Jesus died. But what you don't see here is you see his paw sticking down? His paw happens to be sitting across the band of those two fish, like he's breaking the band. Do I have a picture of that? Nope, I don't. Okay. That's because I couldn't find one that does it. But essentially, again, you see Pisces right here written. That's what it's talking about because that band goes right here. Cetus is down here. 
the band goes across. It's like he's putting his paw and cutting it off. Okay? I mean, you guys, you guys picking up on the, the typology that's going on here? Okay. Revelation 5.12, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I mean, again, we'll look at this. We're seeing what's going on. Now, put them all together. you got Jesus died and rose. He pours out His Spirit. The two are bound. We're bound by our flesh to this, this thing. But Jesus frees us so that we can be one in Christ. You guys see how this works? Now, let's look at the last one. We're almost done. The third book, if you will, the third grouping of four, we start with Taurus, who is the bull. He's not a happy bull. He's an angry bull. I don't know too many happy bulls, to be honest with you. Um, I don't know any red ones either. I'm not sure where they came up with that name. But what you don't, it's hard to tell from this, is that this thing, he's got his head down. Okay? If you're ever in a pen with a bull, and he makes his head down like that, it's a good time to get out of the pen with the bull. Okay? No expert in bulls, but I picked up on that. He is goring something. He is running after something. He's running forward. His name means who saves or delivers. It means bull. It's the coming ruling. The alpha star in here means leader. Uh, the beta star in here means wounded or slain. There are other ones all through all these different star names. I'm not going to try to pronounce these because I can't. They're all Latin for the most part. This is belonging to the judge, center of foundation, abundant, center, turned on, congregation of the judge or ruler, congregated with this bull, is a coming congregation, is what it's kind of saying with these different meanings. In Jude 1, in chapter, chapter 1, excuse me, in verse 14, it says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the th harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I mean, you see this picture again. Isaiah 34, starting in verse 2, it says, For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and His fury against all the armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter, and their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from the corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heaven shall be rolled up like a scroll, and their host shall fall down. And the leaf falls from the vine as a fruit falling from a fig tree. My sword shall be bathed in heaven until, indeed, it shall come down from on Edom. And on the people of my curse for judgment, the sword of the Lord is filled with blood and is made overflowing with fatness with the blood of lambs and goats and with the fat of kidneys of rams. For the Lord has a sacrifice in Borza and great slaughter in the land of Edom. The wild oxen shall come down with them and the young bulls with the mighty bulls and their land shall be soaked with blood and their dust saturated with fatness. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. What do we see with this bull? This is, this is a judgment coming. Okay? It's a judgment that is coming down. This is Taurus. He's goring something. He's bringing forth judgment, and he's bringing a congregation with him when he does it, which takes us to the next one. Gemini. We showed you this earlier. Two brothers. Now, it's the place of him who comes. Okay? It says all are united. It talks about a peaceful reign. These guys' names, I don't know which is which, is Castor and Pollux. That's their names. Uh, there's some different names used in different spellings and stuff like that. But in Isaiah 11, verse 6, it says, The wolf, wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his rest 
resting place shall be glorious. Now this passage here is talking about this, what we call the millennium reign, this time of peace after God comes down, he's going to enact judgment and there's going to be this time of peace. He's going to bind Satan and all this other thing. But you see there's a difference here than what you have today. This is getting back to how it was when it was created, that animals didn't kill one another. You know, all these different things, but he gets you this time of peace. Castor and Pollock, Gemini, they were considered this peaceful reign. Then we get into cancer. Now, this is the weird one because it's a, it's a crab, right? Come up with something spiritual about that. It's not even kosher. So, I mean, you got, you got that going on. Now, some of the ancients would actually have this as an owl instead of a crab which would make sense. Owl, we think wisdom. Um, the Egyptian would use it as that, uh, that little beetle thing, uh, whatever that thing's called. I can't, uh, scarabus. Scarabus, that's what it's called. It was considered the secret, sacred beetle. But here's what we have, the different meanings. This cattle folds. This is a, who holds or binds, holding or encircling, possessor of seed. Now, there's a star cluster that's inside of this thing that kind of gives us a bit of a story. It means multiple offspring, holding, hiding place, sheltering, assembled thousand kids or lambs. Okay? Now, what this idea here is, is you've got this shelled creature, and this shelled creature is protected. And it still has weapons because there's still a battle to come, right? The end end. Okay? So you've got the bull that's going to come and bring judgment. And you're going to see the separation of the sheep and the goats. And you're going to see these different things that happen after the tribulation. But then it's going to be this time of peace. You've got Castor and Pollux, you've got Gemini. This time of peace that are going on. But these people are still, they're protected, they're together, there's offspring, there's all of these things going on. They still have weapons because there's still one more battle to come. And with that, the last one that comes is Leo. Now, Leo the lion, right? This is what he kind of looks like. Now, I, I believe, weren't you Leo the lion over there at New Life a long time ago? I just pointed this at him. I didn't even mean to do that. Him right there, that guy right there. Leo the Lion was a big stuffed like suit and he would walk outside the, the church and wave at people as they drove by and, and what was funny is there was an older gentleman that drove an old like conversion van and he drove around the block three or four times because he'd seen Leo out there and finally said, I'm going to go in and check out that church. He's been there for the last 10 years. So <laughs> all because of a big giant stuffed animal. So did you know that Gary had an acting side to him? If you didn't, he's right there. He's available for children's parties and all sorts of stuff. So... But Leo, the name, who conquers, the lion, lion, lion coming. All right? There are other stars in here. Regulus is treading underfoot. Judge, exaltation, shine forth. It's this joining of this Virgo and Leo. You've got punishing, coming judge who seizes. Enemy put down. Where do we get this name? Revelation 5, 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. We just talked about this Wednesday night. The whole focus here is on Jesus' second coming. You guys see how from the very beginning you've got the birth and the branch coming forth who's going to bring and enact and balance those scales for you to allow you to come. And as you go through it, you see this progression of the Messiah coming. Now, these aren't on accidents. Some of the theory behind this is they actually think that this is what Adam would do. And he would look into the stars and say, guys, this is the story of how Jesus, or not Jesus, God, Yahweh is going to fix this, essentially. Because he knew he screwed it up. But you can look at these things. These things are named by God. Not by man. We can't be afraid of these things. But I think it's interesting. When we talk about stars and the signs in the heavens, okay, 
Well, the reason I wanted to do this this week is to get a one that's coming in a month. There's actually a sign in the heavens on September 23rd that lines up with Revelation 12 to a T. And I'm going to show you guys that next week. But in order to get an understanding of where we're going with that, I had to do this. Now, again, I know it was a lot of information. I know we went a little long today. But I wanted you to understand it because, again, what is our job? To be watching. We're to be paying attention to what God is doing. These signs are here, and they're here for a purpose. God made them. Okay, So I don't care who writes down what on a horoscope or what they do. makes no difference to me. The fullness of the earth belongs to God. All of it does. All of it's all his creation. And so we have got to be uh, understanding of what he's doing in the time frame that he's in. So I'm going to say this. We are currently in the month of Elul on the Hebrew calendar. It's a time of repentance. And I do this all the time I talk to people. Listen, we don't follow the Hebrew calendar. I'm not making anything more out of it than what it is. It's the calendar that God uses. It's his timetable. We need to understand it. But when there's a time of repentance, it's a time that maybe we should sit back and look at our lives and say, all right, are we where we need to be? I mean, are we doing what we need to be doing? Because the truth is, we're probably not. There's a lot of things that God tells us to do that we ain't doing. You know, we, we convince ourselves that we're doing well because things seem to be going okay. And so we get comfortable in our success. But the truth is, is that every day we should go out there as if we're starving. and We got to go and get that. You know, I, I, I used to train sales guys, all right, back in the day. I, I travel around, I teach people how to sell stuff. Usually it was insurance, so you can thank me because you hate insurance guys. We have one that we love. <laughs> but, but, but I would tell them, it's like, what would happen, is, this was inevitable in, in, in insurance sales, pretty much any sales in real estate, is that they would put together a couple of really good months, and then they would take their foot off the gas. And they'd get comfortable because why? They've made a little bit of money. They can put away, oh, things are going to good go. Well, you got to keep that funnel full. And I said, if you don't need that next sale like you need that next breath of air, if you're not that intense about it, then you're never going to make it as a salesman. I mean, truly be successful. The same thing goes with the body of Christ. Like, I need to be doing God's work like I need oxygen. I need to be out there reaching the lost every day. Like, I need that next breath of air. Like, if I don't do this, I may not survive. I can't. I have to. I have to talk to somebody about the Lord today. I mean, I was talking to somebody about the other day. I said 90% of ministry, especially as a pastor, is stuff that nobody ever sees. The people you talk to, that you pray with, that you meet with, all of that. Nobody ever sees it. And that's why most pastors are, are like, depressed because everybody thinks they work two days a week. And we do. It's awesome. But you should try it. But, but the reality is, it's like every day I wake up and I'm like, all right, Lord, what do you have today? And it never ceases to amaze me of the people that cross my path that I get an opportunity to minister to. And the reason I'm telling you that is that doesn't happen because I'm a pastor. It happens because I'm a believer. That's why. It should be happening with all of us. All of us. There are people every day. When we get 100 teenagers on the church grounds one night to have a good time, that's a plus. It's a start. It's not the finish. We have not arrived. So it was a lot of work, and praise the Lord that we had a good turnout, but we, we got a lot more to do, guys. So let's, we're going to pray and get out of here, but take this month seriously, all right?